Before we get to our good friend Al Bat, we are going to play the Minnesota history lesson for today, and it's about the Christmas bird. Welcome to MN90, Minnesota history in 90 seconds. In the late 1800s, fashionable ladies wore feathers. They wore plumes on their wrists and on their exquisite handbags. And when fluff wouldn't cut it, these modish minis pinned entire birds to their hats. By 1900, many bird populations were in decline. That was when Frank Chapman of the American Museum of Natural History proposed the idea of an annual Audubon Christmas bird count. Minnesota conducted its first Christmas bird census in 1905 when it fielded volunteer groups in Minneapolis and Red Wing. Their binoculars caught, among other species, three northern shrikes and 40 black-capped chickadees. Every year since, Minnesotans have braved the cold and snow to locate and tally and enjoy the outdoors to track the health of bird populations. To date, Minnesota's Christmas bird counters have identified 8.5 million birds of 201 species. MN90 is produced by Ampers, diverse radio for Minnesota's communities. Made possible by funding from the Minnesota Arts and Cultural Heritage Fund. Online at mn90.org. And from Christmas birds, we go to the birdman himself, Mr. Al Bat. Hey, Al, you seen any Christmas birds out there? I, I did. Uh, I did a Christmas bird count on Saturday. Oh. And uh, saw 25 species. Uh, I won't even... Uh, I won't even tell you how many miles I walked. It was uh, uh, I'm a chronic walker, so it worked out well. But it, it was real hard. I saw one pheasant, didn't see a single bald eagle. Uh, none of the roadside birds that we see many years lapped on long spurs and snow buntings and horn larks and those kind of things. But you know what? I had a really good time. Uh, I was all by myself because that's what we're doing this year at Christmas Bird Counts. I told everybody that uh, generally... Uh, welcomes me into their home to tell me what they've been seeing and stuff that I I wasn't going in any houses because it just that seemed to be the wise thing to do so but still I had a wonderful time just wandering around and looking at everything and uh, saw some great birds and got to walk a a lot of trails and was amazed uh, one way or the other saying well this trail's a little longer than I remembered it being or this one's a little shorter than I thought it was but we uh, I walked it in Audubon uh, Wildlife Preserve and it was a, a great place plus a number of bike trails and parks and uh, I, I just had a really good time. Al when you day. when you count birds without any snow is it easier or harder? I read someplace that some people say it's almost easier, but I was just curious what your experience was. Uh, some birds, yes. Some birds, no. Um, I know years I, I have seen snowy owls, and of course they're easier to see when it's it's not quite so snow-covered. But a lot of birds, when we have snow, uh, when things are covered up out in the fields, then they come to the roadside, so we'll see more pheasants, uh, again, lapland longspur, snow bundings, horn larks, American tree sparrows, dark-eyed juncos, all those kind of birds that will come to the roadsides. And uh, I didn't spend all that much time in a car, but I saw not a single roadside bird. There were none oh. of them up there feeding on the corn and uh, other types of grain. 
Uh, they feed on spillage from uh, the big trucks, uh, farm mm-hmm. trucks going by and uh, spilling a little bit, but they also feed on weed seeds and things that uh, are taken by the wind and then are trapped on the gravel roadsides of, uh, well, gravel roads, but gravel roadsides of even our, our uh, highways. And I, I walk through, uh, I, I think, three cemeteries I walk through. I love birding in cemeteries. Uh, I, I have to stop for a minute and uh, take my hat off as I pass a, a couple of grave sites there of folks I knew. And and I went out to a uh, the, the Audubon Preserve and uh, paid homage to uh, three of my old birding buddies or have uh, memory trees there so these beautiful trees with their a little plaque with their name on it and it was uh, I remember doing Christmas bird counts with all three of those guys a number of times so it's a nice way to honor them with their favorite tree planted out there so it was kind of a it was a nice thing and we delivered presents, too, this weekend, Gail and I. We were like, uh, oh, a demented mailman. <laughs> we just drove by people's houses and threw things out the window onto their lawn and then cackled on down the road. So it uh, made it pretty easy. It's, it's really different, but, you know, good times are ahead. So, And uh, last night we went out and we saw the uh, Great Conjunction. Uh, we parked on a little gravel road here that it's a short gravel road that hasn't seen that much traffic in I don't know how many years. There were slow-moving cars going by and parked cars. Uh, it was a, an ideal spot to see the conjunction, and we sat there and looked at it, and it was pretty cool. We didn't know if we could wait another 60 years to see it, so it was it was nice. We had a, a nice night going out there. I, when I was doing the Christmas bird count, I saw a red fox on the road, and a red fox has a, they come in so many different color forms, but a, a red fox has a white-tipped tail, and it's the most common one we see. We see it in forests and fields, often in the open. We also have gray foxes. They have black-tipped tails. And they're found in forests and forest edges, uh, not likely to be seen in open areas. So if you see a fox out in the middle of a field, chances are it's a red fox. If you see a fox up in a tree, that's a gray fox. They can climb trees. And I'm a big uh, promoter of foxes because they've done a lot of studies in areas and they found when there's a healthy population of foxes they prey upon a lot of small animal mammals uh, mice and it tends to lower the incidence of lyme disease in that area so uh, i appreciate anything i have uh, a number of friends who've had lyme disease and it hasn't done them any good at all there's uh, a lot of problems and I'm seeing my Christmas chipmunk, so I'm yesterday out here. I'm calling him a him because I don't, that's what we do when we don't know. Uh, he uh, made his appearance. Uh, he's been here. I haven't seen him today, but he's been here a lot of days. Uh, chipmunks, again, aren't true hibernators. Instead, they enter a torpid state in which their body temperature and heartbeat decrease but they wake every few days to feed on stockpiled food and, well, to go to the bathroom. Uh, chipmunks burrow. They have this wonderful burrow system. They have entrance holes. Oh, they're about uh, two inches maybe in diameter, and they go down about two feet. 
and then they parallel the surface for up to 10 feet and then there are chambers for sleeping, a pantry, a bathroom, mm-hmm. and then a birthing room are excavated to the side of that tunnel. And I like chipmunks, even though chipmunks love <laughs> tomato juice. So when my tomatoes ripen here, Gail and mine, chipmunks will eat holes in the bottoms to get that juice. So despite the propensity to attack my tomatoes, I gave the Christmas chipmunk some peanuts. And it made the chipmunk happy, and me too. And I said, Merry Christmas, Christmas chipmunk. And I, I think he said something nice back, but I, I, I missed it because I was talking. Um, they're just uh, neat things to see out there, and uh, maybe I appreciate them more around Christmas. I hope I do. I should. Uh, Ryan Shackleton saw a snowy owl on Shadow Avenue, and that's down by Charles City, Iowa. So the the snowy owl is down there. It had to go through here to get down there, uh, but we didn't see it at all. So uh, keep an eye out for those things. Uh, Gunnar Berg of Albert Lee wrote, he said, some trends I've observed about birds, way less birds particularly grassland species and red-headed woodpeckers. I do not recall when I saw my first cardinal, but it was not during my childhood. I likely have told you this. My mother gave me a golden book of birds for my 12th birthday on May 15th. It tripped a trigger. To this day, I have never seen that many warblers. Still have the book held together with duct tape. Bird book, maybe it's duck, D-U-C-K tape. Oh, and another observation, when I was in high school, we owned a farm directly south of Geneva, and I could observe the north bay of the lake from a tractor seat. There were two pairs of pelicans and at least one pair of Clark's grebes, western at that time, of course, and the tractor followed by black turds, red wings, and yellow-headed blackbirds, and other species we seem to have misplaced somewhere along the line. I seem to recall Franklin's gulls, too, but they would be a little out of the range, so I may be incorrect. Well, if you were doing fall work, uh, you certainly would see them there. I see a lot of Geneva Lake and that area, Gunner, around that time. Uh, Phil Morheim saw a pileated woodpecker, and he has black squirrels still, uh, I guess, under the deck. He has a, the deck is raised up, and then he has a, I don't know what you, even like a patio under the deck with stones. And uh, I can stand on the deck and look down and see these beautiful black squirrels that Phil has. Uh, Brad Baldwin. Brad is from Wyndham. He said on Wednesday there was a snowy owl a couple miles southeast of Welcome, where you'll see that big Welcome to Welcome sign as you near town. He said, to the best of my knowledge, that bird has not been relocated. And there was also a snowy owl along Minnesota 60, just south of the County 9 exit, it was on an exit sign for Medelia. And at 4.30 on that day, the bird was at the intersection of Minnesota 60 and 320th Street. So uh, a snowy owl, two snowy owls over there. So we need to keep our peepers popping. So we'll see these. Uh, Brad also saw most of these birds were seen at Sisseton, Lake Sisseton, 
in Martin County. Uh, snow goose, Ross's goose, greater white-fronted goose. Uh, some people might recognize those as speckled bellies. That's what I've called them in my youth. Uh, northern shoveler, northern pintail, green-winged teal, hooded berganser, and ruddy duck. So quite a number of them over there. Hey, Al. Uh, I look... I yeah. just got a note from Cannon Falls, our friend Don in Cannon Falls, and he's, yeah. he saw a white bird as well. He said, Hi, Karen. While walking along the Cannon River in town, I saw a pelican last week in the river. Does Al think it's injured, sick, or confused, or just like it, likes it around these parts? Thanks, Don in Cannon Falls. And he has a picture of it, just lone pelican sitting in the, the river. Oh. And thanks, Don. Merry Christmas. Good to hear from you. We had one uh, in a Christmas bird count. I want to say I counted him like six, seven, eight years. It was quite a number of years. And it was a, a pelican, but he had flown into a utility wire and sheared off part of his wing. And other than that, he was healthy, and out there he fell in love with a domestic goose. And <laughs> I won't go into that. It was a, it was a sad, sad thing. Uh, she treated him wrong. But he he was around here, and he was in a place uh, where he could get to without flying so he could find fish. And as long as he could find something to eat, he could take the cold. But if they don't find something to eat, then it's, it's, it's tough for him. So I'm guessing this one, he is, uh, well, he could be just confused. I hope so. You know, just thinking he'll catch the next flight, and then he sleeps late and misses a flight so he says well i'm gonna stay here for the weather's pretty decent i'm gonna stay here for another week maybe he um if they're sick they they usually look ill i don't know exactly how to describe that but you can you can look if anybody's raised chickens or ducks or geese or something you can kind of tell when they're sick they just look poorly and uh, maybe they don't hang out in the middle of water or anything. They'll be along the edges trying to just uh, hide and figure things out and hope to get better. Well, this but one looks like in... he's in the middle of the water. As He's got this picture of him, and you can see he's kind of toward the middle, so I'm guessing maybe he's not sick, I hope? Pro probably not. He could certainly have an injured wing, which would preclude him from flying anywhere. So uh, probably an injury or just... Uh, chronic confusion which Aww. we've all been there you know <laughs> so that happens but uh, I hope it just one day says you know what I'm out of here and just takes off and, but uh, thanks for sharing that Don and appreciate you sending along the photo that was that was good there I, we do see them uh, occasionally on Christmas bird counts that are healthy birds too but uh, typically when I've seen that, there's been more than, than one bird. So if you just see the one, you got to figure something's just not right there. Uh, Carol Bertelson of Albert Lee saw the, I got a few here from Albert Lee, uh, three or four in a row. Carol Bertelson saw a red-breasted nuthatch. Uh, Peggy Swenson of Albert Lee had pine siskins, purple finches, and she saw a brown creeper. Carol Hagel-Lang of Albert Lee had a Cooper's Hawk. And Ruth Olson of Albert Lee said she saw several common red poles. Now, I haven't seen any, 
I know there's been a number of reports in the state, and I keep looking in my yard at my feeders because this is supposed to be a year where we'll probably see some. So I'm hopeful. Uh, Jamie Tennyson sent a video of turtles seen under the ice in a pond. They have a pond. They have a Christmas tree farm and a golf course, so they have a pond. And her boys took a video of the turtles under the ice, and I'm not sure which boy. Um, she has eight sons. So uh, Jamie lives with her husband and eight sons, so nine males. Uh, I know there's a lot of women out there just uh, felt a shudder run up and down their spine with that many boys. But they're, they're great kids, and it was nice of them to send it. So thank you, Jamie. Uh, a lot of folks have reported hearing great horned owls, and uh, one asked, where do they nest? Great horned owls do not build nests. Uh, they appropriate nests built by hawks, crows, ravens, herons, or squirrels. And I often see them using old red-tailed hawk nests. And they don't ask. They just come in and say, I, I claim this for, for my family, and they take over. There was one in a uh, rookery of great blue herons, and I would stop there with my camera, all these great blue heron nests, and then right there in the middle was a great horned owl nest. And it seemed to work out all right, as far as I know. The great horned owl would love to eat a young heron, but those herons have dagger-like bills. Herons work daytime, owls work night, so their work shifts worked out all right, and um, they all seem to bring off babies there, so it worked. The great horned owls will also nest in tree cavities, on snags, on cliff ledges, and in buildings. I don't know how many people have pulled my chain or my leg by saying we have a barn owl and then uh, get a kick out of it by when it's just a great horned owl that's in a barn, which I guess, you know, they weren't fibbing. It is a barn owl. Uh, when you walk by a window, folks, just take a look outside. Man, it is a window's a lens to the outdoor. It's nature, nature uh, close at hand, and every view is new and different. Each window's unique. John Muir said between every two pines is a doorway a new world and if you have some of these plants you can i know i glory in the lovely red color of the red twig dogwood it's otherwise known as red osier dogwood red willow red brush uh, dogberry tree i'm probably missing some oh and I'm, I'm looking on my feeder here just as i speak and charismatic chickadees attacked a feeder sunflower seeds and like any cafe owner I appreciate the regulars they come in every day and you get to know them a little bit a listener asked how long do bald eagles feed their young you know eaglets probably stay in a nest somewhere from 10 to 12 weeks but at about 9 weeks they're fully grown and they're fed raw meat directly one to eight times a day, depending on you know, the size and the quality and everything. And they receive no regurgitated food as some other birds do. 
The male provides most of the food for the first two weeks, but after three or four weeks, the female provides as much food as a male, and by the late nesting period, the female's providing most of the food. And the parents will continue to provide food for some time after fledging as the newly flighted birds, they're honing their hunting and flying skills. And it takes four to 12 weeks on average for young eagles to hunt successfully. Fully refined specialized hunting skills probably take years to develop. So they could still be feeding, given some help and some food to those eagles up to 12 weeks, but it could be maybe only four weeks. It just depends on the the eagle, the parents. Uh, some parents, I'm sure, practice a little more tough love than other ones, and they just say, no, you got to do this yourself. Uh, young bald eagles are not very good always at finding food, and they want their parents to feed them, so they will they will shadow their parents uh, they're like stalkers and follow them around and make noise and try to steal food from their parents and well we we've all been there too and the same listener said uh, i was lucky enough to see flying eagles interlock their talons once are they courting hmm. you know they could be uh but talon grappling and tumbling through the air has been observed. I've been lucky enough to see this behavior, but it's in all combinations of eagles. So four possible reasons for such actions are pair bonding or courting. Aggression, maybe they're just trying to get the other one out of there. Learning, this might be a learning thing, for, especially for the young ones. And then play. We don't know a lot about bird play. We we know crows and some things certainly do, uh, but I think there's a lot more playing goes on than, than we think, and scientists are still working on this. Some claim there's all kinds of play among all kinds of birds. Uh, listeners said, what are two porcupines called? I know the answer to this one. It's a prickly pear. Oh, man, I hope that's right anyway. Uh, Marion Ball of Fairboat writes, where are the finches? Nothing is eating at my thistle seed feeder. Well, Marion, I will send some goldfinches your way. It might take a couple of days, what with it being Christmas and all. Uh, the pine siskins blew through some yards. Some people still have them. Uh, I saw, I think, 34 during the Christmas bird count. If we'd have done the Christmas bird count uh, during when they were everywhere, I probably had 340 at least instead of 34. Uh, Siskin's winter movements are erratic. It depends partly on the state of cone crops in northern North America. That's where we're getting so many this year. But the weather has been kind to these little finches, and they are finding plenty of natural foods to eat. They don't have any uh, history in our backyard, probably. They're not tethered here. They, they're they nomadic. They go wherever they want. But Marion, like Arnold Schwarzenegger, they'll be back. Uh, a listener said, I raise chickens. I watch roosters preening before a fight. What's going on there? I raise chickens forever, so yeah, sometimes they'll come out there and they just they'll preen a little bit, maybe scratch the ground, pick up a stick or something from the ground with their bill and toss it back down, just like they're 
there are two old farmers out there rolling a corn cob around with their boot and talking about farm prices and <laughs> government intervention and those kind of things. So what are they up to? It's displacement behavior is what scientists call these. It occurs when an animal performs an act that's it's irrelevant to the behavioral context. So it can include self-grooming, touching, scratching, displayed when an animal has a conflict between two motivations. So it could be the desire to fight another one and the desire to run for it because you're afraid of that opponent. So they're just kind of trying to work things out, and it seems, you know, men, what do we do? We scratch our heads. I don't know what I should do. Or we we scratch our chin, maybe, saying, boy, I I don't know if I should. If this stockbroker says this stock's going to go up, but I don't know. I don't know. So we do the same thing. We're not all that much removed from chickens, I guess, because they're out there and they're trying to make big decisions in their life. And they do uh, odd things like we do. Boy, we no uh, animal does more odd things than us. Uh, This question we get every year, Karen, but somebody said, I'm seeing robin nests. Do robins reuse nests? And I have to say not typically, because old nests, if there's a nest in a tree or on a downspout or something now, those old nests will crumble during the winter. But there also can be parasite eggs or larvae that will overwinter in a nest and then attack nestlings if they reuse a nest. And female robins have this powerful impulse to build a new nest each year. That's just part of their thing. They want a brand new nest. They don't want that old one. That said, on rare occasions, and I'll see it more often during the same year when they're doing the second brood or second nest, they might use the platform, the base of the first nest, and then build up from that. In the yard here, I have seen a couple of times morning doves using robin's nest, which is just... uh, I I don't know why morning doves don't do that more often because they build terrible nests. And to them, a robin nest is like the Taj Mahal, this great architectural feat. So, uh, but I've I've seen that a couple of times, not very often, but it was uh, it was neat to see. And I know the one uh, raised uh, baby doves from it, so I don't know if. They probably didn't thank the Robins or send them a Christmas card or anything like that, but they sure should have. It's a great time. I hope you uh, all have just uh, the wonderful, wonderful Christmas. Al, before you say goodbye, we have something from John. I don't want Perfect. Okay, so, and it always starts out with, bet Al knows this one. (laughs) I should say I don't know as soon as you say, hear something from John. Exactly. It says, what do you call a grouchy reindeer? What do you call a grouchy reindeer? I do not know. <laughs> Rude off. Oh, man. I would not have got that. I spent all day thinking of that, and I wouldn't have got that. And John Rudolph. wishes us all a holly jolly day. So same to you, John. Yeah, thanks, John. We appreciate you listening, and you've been a, a long listener. And I, I would just like to say I appreciate everybody that uh, that 
has listened for so long and and that I've heard from and I, it just uh, Karen you have the greatest listeners I, I've noticed uh, I can pick out like the ones that uh, have been in just one little section of folks that have hauled animals up to the, like the wildlife rehabilitation center or the raptor center up in the cities i mean that's a good haul to go up there but mm-hmm. these folks have uh, have cared so much to do that and boy oh boy that's just that's a wonderful wonderful thing i just like uh, there aren't enough words to say how much I appreciate them, but I appreciate everybody. You're all out there doing wonderful things. Um, when I do the Christmas word count, I say I, I walk uh, a lot, and um, I pick up trash along the way because I, I just can't help myself. <laughs> and I, I should carry a bag, but that would uh, oh. <laughs> that would make sense, so I don't always do that. So all of a sudden I got two hands full of uh, stuff binoculars hanging around my neck and and i'm so happy when i see a garbage uh, can or something where i can put all these things in and uh, i i know i'm not the only one that's out there picking up stuff like that and i always say folks say boy you know i wish i could make the world a better place yeah pick up some stuff that's certainly a step in that right direction i went out and i visited a few stores uh, Karen, I usually have a limit of t- two stores a day is pretty much my limit because if, if I go to three stores and I have to take a day off and just uh, think about things for a while. So I, I visited a few stores this time because I was Christmas shopping, uh, except for the bananas. I bought six of them. The cashier told me I owed $113, but after some haggling, she lowered the price to $1.13. And that made me feel as if I'd gotten a real deal. I, I rarely have that feeling. I'm an inept shopper, but I try to maintain a good attitude as I journey the aisles. And that's why I was bothered by my experience in one store. I'm not going to name the store. The checkout lines were just incredibly busy. So I carefully chose the one line I thought would speed the process. You all have uh, methods that you, you know, you look for uh, a heaping carts or you look for a family, big family in there. There's all these different kinds of things that we look for. And I chose the one I thought would really speed the process. But the cashier was slow and rude. I Uh-oh. figure we all have bad days, but it got even worse. As my purchases continued to travel through the checkout process, the cashier became downright nasty. That's the last time I ever used a self-checkout. <laughs> Remember, folks, Heartland is well worth driving past. Uh, thanks for listening to me. Do something wild today. Get out there and look at a bird. Karen, thank you, as always, for your wonderful company. Merry Christmas, all of you. I wish you everything you wish for yourself. Well, Al, we wish you a Merry Christmas, and we hope you have a healthy, happy new year. That's uh, I'm sure. planning on it. Sounds good. Well, and uh, all all our best to Gail as well. Thanks, Al. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right, bye-bye. Always great to chat with our good friend Al Bat. Uh, he's a, one of the kindest people I know, and it's just a fun fun to hear what he has and his perspective. He's a, got a good sense of wit about him.